Well, um, I would say take a long, long, hard look at your go-to-market process, not from the perspective of what you're currently looking at, but put yourself in the shoes of your colleagues. So if you're in sales, take a look at the marketing side. If you're marketing, look at customer success. If you're customer success, look at sales. All of those things, if you want to be successful as a business, it's not about I, it's about we. And it means you need to learn, understand, and really look at what is the entire journey and get really buyer-centric in that perspective. Hey team, I want you to meet Craig Handy, head of revenue automation, tooling, and enablement at Shopify and founder of Jameson Strategies. But first, here's what Arthur Castillo said about Craig. Sometimes we are too obsessed with our ICP. And I heard uh, Fred Handy talk about this, where he looked at the ICP qualifications for previous year's closed one revenue for a client of his. And he found that 60% of their closed one revenue technically would have been disqualified because it didn't meet their ICP qualifications. So a lot of the time, again, let's ask about where they're trying to get to or maybe what they've tried to do prior to reaching out to us. Because often it could just be a simple switch or a tiny little product feature that can expand an entire new industry and tank for us. Yet we're again just qualifying them. So let's talk to those people, understand not necessarily where they're at today, but where they're trying to get to. Craig, what are three ways your team converts your market into revenue? First one, PLG, so product-led growth. Uh, so this is, I would say, a big part of my role at Shopify. Um, and, and that is, we, in a RevOps perspective, talk about right person, right time, right way. And... I don't think there's a better way than right person, right time, right way than someone who's already engaging with your product to a certain degree, whether that's from a free trial perspective, whether that's from a, you know, a, a basic plan or, or, or even a big plan and like going with them and growing with them, providing that value for them when they, they need to see it or additional add-ons when they need to see it. And the beauty of product-led growth is you have the visibility into what they're doing. You have the visibility into their performance, their challenges, you see other customers that have similar experiences. And so being able to not only reach out to them in a very meaningful way at the right time, but then also for them, in many cases, from a self-serve perspective to say, oh, hey, I want that and I can get it and I'm going to do it and I don't need to have a million meetings to engage with that way. So that's a, that's a big piece there. Um, from the James Strategies perspective, uh, referrals. Huge driver for us. Very, very, I think only once went outbound. And the real thing for me is in a market where I think I'm coming with a, with a product that is not common, you know, we, we call it RevOps as a service and you're seeing a little bit of it pop up, but it's not as super common, is there some skepticism in, in that? And so having a warm referral where someone's like, hey, this changed uh, the game for us. So this really helped us. How do we pass that off? And so we're really adamant to say, you know, that's meaningful for us, but we provide that value and, and, and we naturally provide that value that people want to talk about it, want to share it. Now that stems over to the third one, upsell, cross-sell. This is prevalent in both Shopify and James strategies from the perspective of, you know, sometimes the best barrier to entry is, is, a, low, is a low one or, or one that is low risk or one that is, you know, no brainer. And though you believe deeply that the value is there, uh, and I, I firmly stand by this is that you don't sell something you don't believe in, but you know the value's there. And so sometimes it's like, maybe you need to walk before you run. And so that entry level where, Okay, let's come in on a low plan if it's changed in, or let's come in on a on even a low plan of Shopify. And then you start to see, okay, these people care about me, they value me, they're providing me with, with value constantly, and they have a path for me to grow as I grow. And so I think to the question of like how you turn your market into revenue, uh, the the micro concept of your market as in your customers, how do you grow that? And I think that that is something that if done right is a 
safer, more consistent, and, uh, and a more human approach to, to growth. What are three hard problems that you recently overcame? So, so first one, uh, I, I'll say I'll struggle with this question a little bit. because I was like, what, what have I overcome? Like, it's it's always a constant struggle. But the first one I would say is making uh, making a tight budget uh, tech stack run like a sports car. And so my when I was playing around with the term, it's just like it's just like an engine swap of a of a Ferrari into Honda Civic, but. The reality of this is that, you know, especially from smaller businesses perspective, from the James Strategies side is, you know, you have a budget and you, uh, especially in today's uh, approaching downturn, it's like, no, I don't want to throw into these, all these licenses and all the top uh, services. And like, is this the right tool? Is this the right tool? And so the kind of the asks are huge. So we want all of these things, but the budget is like, oh, like I can only buy a quarter of it. So one of the challenges that is always, I think, a roadblock, but something that we've been very successful in overcoming is, okay, can we make this and squeeze as much value as possible? It's not always pretty, and I'll be upfront about that, but it's the the bottom line is you're trying to achieve something. So how do we help you to do that? And I think that that's been a consistent thing with, with a lot of our clients where you know, we get them to that particular point and then they prove that value in that, in that business case and then they continue to grow. But sometimes we've got to stretch a little bit outside of our box at the beginning. Uh, and so, so that's a big one. Um, number two, uh, I say this is like uh, forming a super alliance. Um, and this is from Shopify context, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of investments happening from, you know, what are we building? When are we building it? How are we, how are we doing this and, and whatnot? And uh, we, we were just a really interesting topic that um, my team and another team both really had a lot of skin in the game on. And so I think at first it's kind of like, well, who owns this? And we want to drive it with our direction. We want to drive it with our direction. And I think it took a lot of, you know, a few deep breaths uh, and really thinking like, how do we put our merchants first? How do we put uh, our customers first and come together with a, with a meaningful relationship? And what that basically formed is, you know, we, we talk about it as like our, our, our step sibling, but it's it's this alliance between we call the project something, they call it something else, but it's the same goal, same objectives. We just have different lenses on it. Um, but what's definitely for sure is that we always approach with like, how do we win together? Uh, and that alliance has been really strong and really powerful. So that's uh, that's been a huge one. Uh, and the last one is growing a team really quickly. And so from the Shopify perspective too, uh, in what was it? Uh, the end of 2021, we restructured a little bit. And so a good portion of what my team was responsible for. And so my team moved to a new group, but then we inherited a lot of new requirements and new expectations, plus the rampant growth of the company. And so in that scenario, it was, well, we need to fill these seats and we need to, to do this. And so huge push and thankfully had a fantastic recruitment team, but doing like hundreds of interviews and, and engaging on a meaningful level while also realizing, hey, I need to double in size, but I also want to add to the culture. And so that uh, was very challenging, but I'm happy to say we, we successfully did it. Uh, and it, it's phenomenal. I'm loving all the new people that we have uh, working with the group. What are three roadblocks that you're working on now? So for, first one is time. Um, and it is like, it's like, I'm, I'm sure you probably hear this all the time. It's, it's a constant struggle. Um, and juggling that. And there's not only like within work, but also within, you know, your personal life, your personal life balance. And I find, again, not to say I can get really like laser focused on something, but as someone who embodies my work life, again, finding that balance is, is incredibly tricky. Um, the other thing too is, is in, a, in, a, in our perspective, a digital world where, you know, in neither of the businesses am I, am I in person, that whole sense of like, it's like, let's just hop on a, on a hangout. And, I, and I, I've heard this many times where people 
oh, I don't, I don't want to get on a meeting unless there's agenda, or you know, we this didn't this didn't need to be a meeting. But on the flip side, it's like, well, why couldn't it have been for the perspective of like, there's some human interaction. There's a way for us to not get mixed up in the way we're typing and read into things. Like, let's just get on a call and have that chat. But in doing so, uh, the calendar looks really, really nasty. And so that roadblock is, is as, as expectations and everything start to grow and change, how do I have to adapt that without losing that, that human connection with, with a growing team and a growing client list and, and so on and so forth. So that's a big one. <clears throat> I don't know if there's an answer, but I'm certainly not going to stop. I'm too stubborn to, to stop searching for one. So um, second one, prioritization. Uh, th- this is, this is I think, especially true across the board. And I call it separate from time in the sense of you got a lot of things that are out there that we could do, a lot of ideas, a lot of, uh, a lot of projects that, that could produce value. But again, you have a, a finite amount of resources in a certain set period of time. And of course you ask marketing, Hey, what's the most important thing and sales, what's the most important thing. And, and sometimes there are different things. And of course, to them, their thing is the most important thing. And so it's like, how are you objectively and collaboratively identifying that priority? <clears throat> so from, from my view and my fear where the roadblock lies is that by systemizing this into a really like concrete process, you lose the human level of this, which is, uh, again, you talk about what the, the average average number of, uh, of kids people have is 2.5, but you and I both know you can't have 0.5 of a kid. So when you talk about prioritization, it's like, oh, this is prioritized because this score was slightly higher than this. But again, it's like, does that make sense? Like, is that is that a human approach to the business? Because of course, we're, we're serving humans as, as our clients. And so in that case, it's, it doesn't always work like that. So, so that's, I think, it's a big struggle is, is what's the balance between those two things. Last one, tech debt. Uh, this is, it almost needs no explanation, but the reality is as businesses grow, whether they're big companies or small companies, they grow very, very fast when they're on the right track and they end up buying technology to solve problems. And without a really good kind of like long-term strategy around that, that stuff starts to build up. And, and we like to joke around and call it a, a Frankenstein system. Um, but that's in essence, the bunch of different parts that, we're never really meant to work together. And then you start investing time and like decoupling that and, and rethinking that. And it just, in the early days, it's like, no, it's no problem. But as you get bigger and as you start to like want to pivot, that weight makes it incredibly difficult for you to do things. And the minute you start, and this, this is a big one for me, the minute you start making decisions, not based on what the best decision is for the business, but based on the amount of effort it would take to make that change, you know, you've gone down the wrong path. And so that's a big thing where it's like, how do you identify that early on and make those like, you know, you, you, if you rack up a big financial debt, likelihood is you're not going to just try and go pay it off all at once, which is unfortunately how tech debt is, is associated. Instead, you get yourself on a payment plan and you start to pay that debt off. And so I encourage you to think about tech debt in that same way, where just because it's not a problem now, best believe that exists. And so how are you effectively without having to like rethink everything, slowly getting yourself in a better position over time? What are three mental models that you use to do your best work? So first one, and, and this, this, I think irritates so many people when I say this, but I, but I say it nonetheless, it's like, I think of myself as an artist and I approach things from the perspective of, as, a, as an artist and, and my, my, and this probably could be totally inaccurate, but this is, this is what I say. And so this, this is why I'm, I'm going to say it again. It's like Pablo Picasso, famous for his abstract art and everything. And one could say like, Oh, I can, I can do that. I can throw some paint on the, on the painting and like, Oh, I'm, I'm an artist. But the difference being is like, can Pablo Picasso, make a hyper-realistic, I thought this was a photograph painting. 
Yes, he can, but he chooses not to. And so in this case is, could I do that? No, I cannot. I can throw pain on the thing, but I can't make it look like you. And so that perspective to me is, is like, when you understand the book, you understand the science behind it, you understand the process going into a perspective of, okay, is this actually the right thing to do? Or can I make some creative decisions or creative directions that go outside of what you would expect and create something beautiful? And, and that almost is like a mutation. Uh, but, I, but again, I like to call it art in this case. And so it, I think it irritates some folks, but that mental model is, is like, I'm not trying to be rigid. I'm trying to be artistic in the way that we approach revenue, uh, revenue operations. Uh, second one is, is big vision. Uh, again, this one probably gets me into trouble all the time, but I'm always thinking about the next thing. I'm trying to think about the big things. I don't, I just despise mediocrity. Uh, and that perspective here then is, okay, great. We've done this. Now, how do we do it a million times bigger? Like, how do I a million times X this, this thing? And, and I'm always on to that next idea. And so for me, that means, and, and not in a negative way, like don't settle. But for me, that means is don't get comfortable in, in what you're doing and, and keep thinking about what's next, what's next and drive yourself there. And that for me is this like constant thing where I wake up in the morning to say, okay, what am I going to do next? And I'm excited for what I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm excited for it. Uh, and the last one is a human approach. Um, anytime someone asks me how you build a team, I say foundationally, it must start with psychological safety. Uh, and that means that people feel comfortable to be able to make mistakes, have failure, whatever those, those cases may be. But all of that stems from the fact that I think in business, it's very easily for you to objectively say to someone else, like, oh, I can't stand them, or I don't like them, or they're doing X or they're doing Y, and you, and you totally take the human out of them. And that's awful. That's terrible. From my perspective here is you have to realize like this is this person in front of you, someone loves them. They have children, they have parents, they have friends, people care about them. When they go to an interview, they go home and maybe their, their son or daughter says, you know, hey, how, how did the interview go? They, they deeply want their parent to be successful. Or, you know, they the parent asks, well, how was your day? And like, oh, it was, you know, I had to argue with this person or, or someone's, you know, all those different things. It's, it's, it's human. And so whether it's selling, marketing, uh, internally building things. I try to never, ever, and I always remind myself, there's a human in front of you and any way that you do, like, again, speak kindly, speak softly, speak in a way that, uh, that, that is putting them first. And so that's a big one for me. What are three techniques that other GTM teams need to try? First one is, is build adaptable foundations, not scalable solutions. And what I mean by this is, so I, I hear the term scalable, like, is this, is this solution scalable? And I think it's, it's coming from a good place, but I, I deeply believe that it's wrong because if you build something scalable for now, you are compromising what the best thing is for right now. And quite frankly, I think you're arrogant to the fact that you think you can predict the future in, in a level of detail. That means your solution you made today is going to suit yourself two years down the road. So instead, what I would then say, and I think is a better term, is adaptable foundations, which generally starts from the perspective of data. So thinking, what is the best thing I can do right now? And how do I future-proof it by meaning that I will need to change this? It's inevitable. In a year, six months, two years, I will need to change my approach. But how do I engineer it now that when I do change that approach, it's built to be able to allow that to happen? And so in this case, like one of the things I always say is footnotes kills funding. So in a, in a company that's growing you know, seed series A, series B, you report on something a certain way and then you're like, oh, well, we had to change all this. And so, yeah, we don't have year over year, but we're trying to like, no, that's that's messy. So how do you, again, from a, from a, a granular perspective on the foundation, create something that says, 
We know this is going to change. So think about it, but you don't know how it's going to change. So just do your best to, to predict that, but, but it starts from the data side of things. Uh, so I think you need to spend more time and attention on that one. Uh, second one is embrace the multi-armed bandit. So this is where, uh, where Arthur Costello was, the, was, was mentioning about um, your ICP uh, and, and again, super too focused on, on that. And so the term of the multi-armed bandit, it's a statistical model, and it's basically the balance between um, exploiting and exploring. And the assumption is, is that if you continue to exploit something that you know, so in essence, your ICP, what you're doing is, is you're just capitalizing off of what you know today. But the reality is in the world and in business, your product is an adaptable piece of the market as it continues to change. And so if you don't spend time on exploring what that is, aka speaking to people who right now are not a fit for your product, then you don't know what to build. You don't know what's coming down the line. And so, yeah, you don't want to put all your time in Explorer because those deals are probably not going to close. But by having a healthy balance between that, the most profitable, the most successful direction is fluctuating back and forth from that because the explorer will mean that your exploitation down the road will be infinitely higher. Otherwise, if you just continue to exploit, your known world remains your known world. And so that's a, that, that's a really important one. And that's where you hear the term of uh, build for where your, your, your clients are going, not where they are today. Uh, the last one is, is tension metrics. I've had some great people in my life also all be really focused on tension metrics. And the, the, the assessment here is if you measure an individual thing in point in time without taking into consideration what came immediately before and what comes after, what you're doing is, is you're, you're only seeing one little picture of the, of the story. And so this is really common for sales saying, oh, our win rate's really high. Okay, but are you losing things from the initial lead qualification stage? Like for example, are you being really super critical where you're having waste, where you're saying, no, I'm not going to work this deal, but really it could have been a great deal because you're obsessed about that win rate. Or maybe, you know, your win rate's really low, and but you're like, you know, I'm, I'm just pushing things through the pipe, but then you have a huge, um, uh, huge churn rate. It's like, okay, well, why is that? Like, are you overselling different engagements? And so the really important thing is a holistic picture of your entire go-to-market process. And for everything that you measure, part of that measure should be what good looks like from the measure before and the measure after, and it all comes into balance. And so if you're not doing that today, you should be doing that because that's that's so, so important for creating a healthy business overall. What are three questions you love to ask and why? Perfect. Yeah. So, so questions are so important. I love that. Um, okay. First one is, this is an interview question that I ask, um, but I also will ask people in general, but I think it's a really good one. Um, and I, I would say that some folks um, will say this is not a good question, but Hear me out with this. So the first one is I, I generally say, how do you define success one year, five years, and 10 years for yourself? There is no right answer to this question. You can be like, I don't know. I haven't thought about it. And what it tells me is, again, you're living in the moment. You're not, you're not worried about that stuff. You're not worried about like success for yourself. You're satisfied there. Some people come out, okay, one year I want to do this. I want to have a car. I want to have this. I want to have the house. I want to be married. But boop, five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and, and I just, I love to ask people that question because a, if they say things and I know what matters to them, what's important to them, and we can continue to talk about that. But two, it's just interesting to see the, the perspective that folks have on a, on a short-term versus long-term and like, where are they looking right now? And that's really important. Second one, what motivates you? I think understanding on a level of what people are motivated by is the biggest driver of how to work best with them. Uh, and so when people are open and honest, and that again comes from psychological safety, when they tell you what they're motivated by, then you can just work in such a way that's, that's, that's great with them. 
Uh, and the last one is uh, a Peter Thiel uh, question that uh, comes from uh, Zero to One, which is my favorite book, I think. Um, and it's what important truth do very few people agree with you on? And that to me is like, for example, I, I answer that question with, um, you know, from a RevOps perspective, a lot of people say, well, we're trying to break down silos. I don't think so. I think silos are great. I think silos help build your craft, get people really good at what they do. But it's then the RevOps person's job is when we actually ship and speak to our buyer and our customers, we don't ship those silos. We take all the best thinking and brain power and processes out of those silos and we put those together and create that holistic process that the, that the customer is like, oh, great. It's just, I'm speaking to this company. Uh, but that's one of those examples where it's like, so if someone really thinks about like, I, as an expert in my field, what do I know that other people wouldn't agree with me? But then tell me about that. I, I love that because it's such a window into, into someone who's put thought into something that's uh, just taken as a given. And so uh, I, I love that question. Who are three operators that should be our next guests and why? Three operators. So first one, um, Fahed Al-Atab. Um, <laughs> He's a, he's a founder of, uh, of Unicorn Labs. It, uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's, he's built this business, bootstrapped him himself. Um, but basically, again, he got a start in, uh, in motivational speaking and transitioned to uh, leadership and leadership development from a corporate standpoint. Um, he's absolutely brilliant, unbelievably engaging. And I think his big focus is, is that if you had more for head in the world, if you had more for head involved with corporations and whatnot, then you'd have a hell of a lot better leaders out there. Uh, and so from that perspective, but also from the perspective of like, he's gone kind of as a solo person, building a team, building a business and really working well on his go-to-market strategy. Uh, and it's a really impressive story. Um, second one, David Andrews. Uh, this guy, I think, is the human embodiment of machine learning. And I say that from the fact is, is that I don't care who you are, he will outwork you. Um, absolutely brilliant account executive, unbelievably methodical about how he goes to market and how he sells. Um, and, and does so with a smile on his face. And so if, if you want to think about how do you create discipline from an account executive perspective and how do you uh, contribute to the overall business, not from a, a very intrinsic perspective, but someone who's like, the, the again, the definition of a team player, you got to speak to him. Uh, and the last one is uh, PJ Google. Um, uh, he is a kind of say serial entrepreneur and, and founder of an of a agency Fox in, um, in Montreal, Canada. And PJ really impresses me because he's a big thinker, a big, big vision kind of person. And he's disrupting the way that the real estate rental market is, is going um, by providing these like really interesting uh, marketing, go-to-market experiences. What intrigues me from him is, is twofold, is that I think you, you would see his company as like a marketing agency, but the reality is, is it's more like a think tank. It, it's a, they, they just approach problems with such unique and interesting perspectives and the other side of it is that he is not, not a win at all cost kind of person, but he's the kind of person that is willing to try just about anything. And so he's had many failures, many successes, and just a really interesting business perspective on, on how you go to market in, in, in that perspective. So uh, those would be the three I'd say. Thanks, Craig. For people who love what you're saying, what should they go do next? I would say take a long, long, hard look at uh, your go-to-market process, not from the perspective of what you're currently looking at it, from, but put yourself in the shoes of your colleagues. So if you're in sales, take a look at the marketing side. If you're in marketing, look at customer success. If you're customer success, look at sales. 
All of those things mean that if you want to be successful as a business, it's not about I, it's about we. And it means you need to learn, understand, and really look at what is the entire journey and get really biocentric in that perspective. And so I think once you do that and start asking the right questions, you're going to uncover a lot of things and then you become a team as opposed to an individual. You know, check out James' strategies, uh, especially if you're seed series A, series B uh, uh, company. Um, big thing there is if you need help with revenue operations, uh, I, I know of no better place to, to do that. Uh, and if you're in e-commerce, uh, again, the number one uh, e-commerce platform out there is Shopify. And uh, whether, again, you're a big business uh, and you're looking for Shopify Plus or your small business, uh, go out and check that out because e-commerce is, uh, is such a booming thing and, and you want a good partner in doing that. Hey team, what did you think about this? I'm Chris Morgan, host of the Market to Revenue podcast. Shoot me an email right now about what you thought about this episode. It's chris at markettorevenue.com. Talk to you in a moment.